Hello and welcome to Accent of Woman. I'm Ayan Shirwa. On today's program, we listen to some interesting conversations about healing, self-compassion, and healthy egos. These conversations were part of the Siblings of the Yam workshops, organized by Aisha Trumpus and Inez Trumpus of Negro Speaks of Books. We begin the show with some words from Aisha Trumpus. My name is Aisha. Um, I don't know how to describe myself, but in the context of this space, we're currently at testing grounds um, near this little shipping container that's housing a project called Black Tourmaline for the next um, six weeks. And this project is really about processing experiences that black folks and people of colour have had in education and in learning, um, particularly in mainstream schooling environments but then also proposing and like starting to practice alternative ways of educating ourselves and creating spaces for learning for our own communities. Um, so I've been working on a series of events, um, which we just finished one of them, um, that are just really focusing... They're honestly quite selfish. Like They come from a selfish place of like figuring out what I would like to learn and then hopefully relying on the similarities of my experience with other people's experience, that other people will resonate with those things and also come to want to learn and share and connect over those two. So the event that we just had is part of a series inspired by Bell Hooks' book, Sisters of the Yam. We renamed it Siblings of the Yam to be a little less binary because, you know, in 2019 now... We it's cute. Yep. Um, and... The session was on affirmation, learning the skill of how to affirm yourself and how to kind of care for your, the way you talk to yourself and encourage yourself and transforming the patterns that a lot of us have with negative, yeah, negative self, negative relationship to self um, and using journaling as one tool that might be helpful in that area. And what was your experience like high school or let's say tertiary? I have a really... Like, it's not particularly interesting, but I have maybe a more outlier experience of schooling than a lot of my peers because I really loved school. I've always been a perfectionist. I've always been, like, a high achiever, which I now recognize those attitudes have come from making the best of a situation where I knew that I had to be twice as good more more times more than twice as good as anybody else not to get shot on and very early I adapted to that as a way to prevent myself being harmed in schooling so from dot I've always strived to exceed the expectations that mainstream schooling put on me and I did that very well like I never let my guard down I was 100% committed to my education in the way that people expected me to and so for them to be and so for the most part I used to think that I had a fairly enjoyable time at school. Now, looking back on the time that I had at school, having had access to different spaces of learning where I feel much more comfortable, much more able to be wrong, much more in an actual position to learn rather than simply like memorize and just blindly accept and internalize things. Now I look back on my schooling with a genuine sense of dread that I spent 13 years actually non-stop striving more than, you know, eight hours a day 
for 13 years non-stop striving to meet the expectation of white people who did not expect me to have the capability to match the bullshit standards that they had around their own intelligence which is really none of my business because my I recognize now that learning for me is so much bigger obviously than the things that we learn in school and I think I really internalize a lot of harmful um expectations about my behavior oh, actually expectation was probably the biggest thing of school for me was just meeting expectations exceeding expectations and now I don't recognize that as learning I recognize that as brainwashing and like grooming your behavior to meet the expectations of people who are in, in control of you like I was facilitating a workshop in the school yesterday um and I wasn't in this group unfortunately but like co-facilitators were in this young men's group with two like Arab boys who had just literally on their feedback forms they said the highlight of the session was someone listened to me they have people being horrifically racist to them like undermining them at every point who have no standards of them because of their racist assumptions about what these boys are capable of and they were saying all types of shit like they want to burn down their school they just want the whole thing to change because they recognize how harmful it is for them because of my perfectionism I went through the whole schooling system not realizing that it was harming me because I was constantly getting good grades and making people happy and proud of me um and yeah I feel I feel sad about that like I feel the result of that is not knowing who I am and not being as solid in my actual own thoughts and identity because for so long I've let other people have the power to define what is acceptable of me. The practice of healing sounds amazing, but where does this fit in a mainstream educational environment? If we're talking just purely about a mainstream environment first up, I don't think that healing fits into a a mainstream educational environment at all because it's actually an environment that harms us. Like, we could talk about the harm of education in mainstream systems on so many levels. Like, just if we take it purely on the face value that young people are spending, like, six to eight hours every day in an environment where they have no relation, no agency, they have no relation to the people teaching them. Like, it's... It's very bizarre. Like, the way that Western education works is that you're removed from your family for the most part of your life after, what, five years? And so the knowledge that's most relevant for you that should be coming from your community is now, like, limit... Like, your contact hours with your own people are now reduced significantly. And instead you're put in a classroom more often than not with a white teacher who doesn't understand you and doesn't understand what you need let alone to be able to even give you what you need like it's just very it's it's I don't think healing fits into that environment on any level whatsoever and I actually think that especially when we look at the context of the continent of Australia and what has happened here in terms of colonization and ongoing attempts at genocide For Indigenous people specifically, school is just the antithesis of healing. It's a place where you have your potentially your language taken away from you, you have your culture taken away from you, you have no outlet unless you go to an incredible like Aboriginal school um, for that to happen. And for other folks of colour who are like settlers on this land, there's often very the the most shallow and tokenistic. 
attempts to like integrate some of whatever it is that's your culture is basically your food on like one day of the year or something if that like it's just not it depends what wounds we're talking about healing but I think in terms of just being recognized for your full personhood and seeing that experience for most people I assume would be a healing experience because we all need to be recognized in our full personhood that's not something that happens at school and it's not something that I think school is designed for and one of the kids yesterday said that school was like prison and I know there are professors out here doing their PhDs in the correlations between the prison oh sorry the prison wow I just slipped up the prison industrial complex and the school the school environment and so this kid was all the way right. Like, it's not a place set for healing. It's a place f- set for control and indoctrination. And that's what it's doing the best at and the most at. I sat down with one of the workshop facilitators, Sareti Kadir, to tease out some of the reflections from her workshop. You talked a lot about compassion. Why, why does compassion feature so heavily in your conversations? I think it's because we live in a world so void of it. Uh, our politics is void of it our economics is void of it our relationships are void of it and relationships, intimate ones, should be the place where it's most full of it um, but so many of us grew up in context where I guess the way that we grow and understand our need for compassion is different to how our our upbringings understood compassion it doesn't mean that it's not compassionate but we need to understand, define, and uh, call in compassion for ourselves. Um, becoming more compassionate, it just feels better. And if you feel better as a person, you're able to speak your truth in a more emboldened sense. You're able to contribute to the world in a, in a more impactful sense. Um, and it's, it's really, compassion is what is going to rebalance the 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 really deep imbalance that we currently have that's tilted towards fear and um, hostility, isolation, yeah. And you talked about being present. How do you remain present when there's just so many distractions? Yeah, that's an awesome question. How do we remain present when there are so many distractions? It's a practice. We get better at doing it, first of all. Um, and I think every person needs to find a practice for them uh, that brings them back to it. The most universal one is your breath. A lot of traditions teach with this, but even if you don't follow a, a tradition or a meditative practice or anything, uh, your breath is always constant and it's the same in every moment. Um, and so coming to be aware of it is a great way to um, bring yourself into awareness about the dialogue that's happening in a moment about you and about the world around you and we're always telling ourselves some kind of a story about ourselves or about the world around us unless we're you know fully aware and conscious and it's just silence if we're not in that place and not everyone has we we don't have the chance to be there all the time because we have these these lives we talk to people we have thoughts we are human (laughs) um but yeah coming to to know that you're always breathing in a moment and even you're always thinking in a moment and just noticing that is yeah is super important one of the girls in the sessions um in the session mentioned that um she, that when she was running late she was stressed but then the fact that she made it made her feel better and sort of eased that anxiety that she had about turning up late um what were you nervous about today 
coming here. I was nervous about having enough to say for the hour and a half period. Uh, and I was nervous about, I guess, maintaining a sense uh, authority is the word, a sense of, okay, I have something to, to facilitate or teach here, but also the balance of this is a really delicate and personal, intimate process that each of you will navigate in your own way and being able to, to deliver uh, some kind of grounded content from that place. I was nervous about that balance for sure. Um, yeah, and just having having enough to say because I, I listed stuff out on my laptop in, into sections and um, when I write them out, they're just a couple of sentences, so I'm just hoping... Um, you know, for that presence um, and really that, I guess, that experience of, of the divine that we all have uh, to help me through that and alhamdulillah. You used to, I'm not sure if, if you still do it, but you used to run this, um, you're part of a group of young people who would go to different schools and then you teach people about racism and, and all that. Um, it seems like there's a theme in your life about empowering people empowerment seems to be a thing that you do really well um where did you like how did that come about is it something you nurtured Mm. um i think it's alhamdulillah one of my gifts and um it's something that i have stepped into more consciously recently i think for the beginning part of my life uh, just as a leader growing up in school and in my community it's something that I identified I had and people around me identified I had so I just kind of you know you did it right and um, I think I did it well with the knowledge I had then uh, but because it wasn't so active of a choice there's also parts of it that were quite um, void of the things that really I value now compassion mercy um, truth um, a sense of self-accountability so now when I do it it's because I really believe that it's part of my work in my life to do and it's because it's part of my toolbox my skill set um yeah so I I it's it's both it's both a gift that is part of who I am and it's also something that I had to choose to nurture and show up with because there's also always a choice where you can just go okay cool I'm good at this thing but I'm not going to do it it's it takes too much and it's it is it is work it is because uh, you're engaging with people's emotional, spiritual, physical, mental states in, in a whole bunch of different places. I'm extremely, extremely sensitive. Um, so that's, yeah, it takes um, a, lot of, a lot of conscious work to do that. For our listeners who, um, you know, weren't lucky enough to sit in on your workshop today, what's maybe one or two things in terms of um, being a whole person that you'd love to give to our listeners? One, it's a process. Uh, That means that where you are today is not going to be the same or better than, you know, like for sure better than where you are um, tomorrow. And that's okay. We talked about contractions and expansions today. And it's I guess it's about, yeah, we're always expanding as beings. We're learning more. We're figuring out ways to be more bold in how we show up in the world and speak uh, truthfully and... um, in an empowered sense uh, but there's also the inevitable experience inevitable experience of contracting where it's fear where it's uh, lonely where it's dark or however you want to describe it and 
Um, so just like understanding that it's a process and giving yourself compassion and mercy at all points in that process while employing a sense of objectivity. The Black Toma Line Project is a series of workshops and panel conversations presented by the Community Reading Room. I spoke to Tarika Polataki, the founder of Community Reading Room, to get her thoughts on the workshops and why we need life-affirming spaces. Was today the kind of day that you had in mind um, as a space? Yeah, absolutely. It's always been my... Um, I've been practising yoga for probably, you know, 15, 20 years, um, but never in a space that's just for, um, for people of colour, for women of colour. Um, so just being able to be in a really kind of um, nourishing, safe space... You know, it's it's incredible, and it just it speaks to all of the, I guess the the reasons behind you know setting up this project, um, which is about you know finding um, our own ways of um, self determining, um, you know how we want to how we want to how we want to do things, how we want our practice to be um, on our terms. Basically, the the original project may have sort of been about books, but it's also about knowledge and knowledge sharing, and so this is an extension of that. And this space is very affirming. Um, why is it important to have these sort of spaces? Because um, I think there aren't a lot of them. Um, one of the things that I'm trying to point out through the project is, is that, is that there isn't a lot of those spaces, you know, um, and that they kind of, you know, well, this particular project, you know, it pops up and then it goes away again and then it pops up and, you know, sometimes it's being invited to, to pop up and other times it's me asking for a space. Um, but, um, you know, in all, of, in all of the chaos and all of the kind of, um, you know, we're right in the heart of um, the arts precinct, but... Um, you know, we, we still don't see ourselves reflected in these major institutions um, in the way that we should be, or on our own terms. You know, there's a lot of kind of tokenism and you know, short-term positions that are set up, and there's a lot of kind of violent curating that goes on. Um, but it, it very rarely is it done, um, yeah, in a way that is affirming. And as you said, these sort of places always prop up. But how do we make spaces like this sustainable? That's such a good question because I, you know, people always ask, "You're going to make? Are you going to have the reading room as a as a permanent space somewhere?" Um, and someone asked the other day, "You know, would you would you put it, you know, in a university or something?" I'm, you know, it's as a project. It's not about actually creating a permanent space. It's more about the idea. It's for people with more more capital to be able to do you know like I don't have I just don't have that so it has to just pop up and pop down again um, but there are some great models for um, for these kinds of spaces existing overseas you know I mean, it was inspired by the Stuart Hall Library What's that? Um, so Stuart Hall is a cultural theorist um, and a sociologist and um, there's a library that um, is, is named after him. It's actually just about to reopen because they've gone through a big refurbishment. And it, um, it's a part of the Institute of International Visual Arts in, um, in the UK. And 
It's just an incredible collection of books that centre non-Western art practices, um, not just books, films, documentaries, um, exhibition ephemera, um, but it's an incredible collection and it was after visiting that that I, I felt that it you know, would be really great to see something like that in Australia. And when you were creating the space, because I know you've got three daughters... Um, did you have them in mind? Were you? Did you see it as like this is my legacy to them or to young black girls? It's always. I mean, yeah. I mean, everything I do is about wanting to. I guess um, it is with them in mind. Yeah, it is. I mean, I don't, I don't think of it as a legacy, but I think of it as, um, I guess, an example to them that we can create our own spaces. Um, on our own terms, um, through collaboration, through working with community, um, multiple communities, and um, yeah, and also being an, like showing them an alternative to what they're actually experiencing at school, because it's so easy for them to get swept up in in mainstream education and mainstream kind of um, spaces and, and things that, um, yeah, it's important to to keep them grounded. Yeah. And and the workshop has just wrapped up now, but everyone is still around. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, um, Aisha and Ines have just curated the most beautiful program in this space. And, you know, that that's one of the things that I cherish most about the, the Reading Room project is this ongoing thing is that it's, it, it it feeds into itself in a way, like it's each iteration kind of poses a new question or set of questions and out of that, you know, new things come out. So the, the discussions that we had in the last iteration of the reading room were all about how, you know, our lack of, um, feel, you know, not, not being fulfilled by our tertiary education experience and feeling kind of ripped off, not acknowledged, not seen, not heard, you know, um, some t- sometimes traumatised, you know. People would come into the reading room last last time it was here at Testing Grounds and kind of share stories about how they just couldn't go back into the classroom because the tutors were just um, so incapable of dealing with the racism in the classroom, if not blatantly racist themselves, um, and that just became so hostile that either they quit the course completely or they um, transferred to like studying by distance education and that just I mean that breaks my heart having you know because I've been teaching in higher education for the last 10-12 years and there are not many academics of colour where I work and um, it makes me really upset and you know to hear that every time we lose another student because of their experience um, that's one less academic you know um, who can who can change who can change the status quo so that's why I'm really um, I think it's you know really important to be able to give each other strength and um, hear each other and support each other because all of our experiences of navigating and negotiating within a, a Eurocentric education system, um, you know, there are there are similarities and there are commonalities. Um, and then I just feel like 
Those stories just need to be heard and acknowledged. We end today's program with some final comments from the workshop participants. So why are you folks here today? I think what I'm hoping for the most is to learn how to quiet all the distractions in my mind. You know, whatever I'm doing, you know, I'm cooking, I'm cleaning, I'm something, I need to have something on the side. You know, whether it's a podcast, whether it's music, whether it's wasting time on Instagram, and I just don't think that's healthy. I think you need to be able to listen to your own thoughts and experience them, and I think I'm just so distracted that I'm not doing that. So I'm hoping to kind of learn to focus more on whatever I'm doing at one time. Yeah. I want to be more like aware, I think, of like my body and like movement movements and stuff. So I think that's where yoga is real good because it like really helps you. Like I feel so so often I just like I don't really pay attention to where I'm like sitting and laying around and and stuff and yoga really helps you like feel your body and pay attention and like I think that's really important. And the theme of the workshop is um, peace. So finding that inner peace. What do you think it takes to finding peace no I definitely don't know the answer to that question I think it's a really hard question but I was thinking about why I was coming um I think that often I do yoga and meditation I try and do it by myself and I think that there's real benefit in that but I really love doing collective stuff like this because I feel like you can be with yourself with other people which is a really amazing skill yeah Accent of Woman is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ayan Shirwa. second-class houses and second-class schools. Do you think that all colored folks are just second-class fools, Mr. Backlash? I'm gonna leave you with a backlash blue. Black, yellow, beige, and brown Mr. Backlash